to another episode of Overlook Giants. I am Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting virtually with renowned pianist and composer Tammy L. Hall. She is a bright light that shines both on and off stage, and her kindness and compassion is a consistent presence every time I've encountered her. When it comes to my personal list of musicians that I love to listen to, Tammy is definitely at the top. She is a brilliant musician who offers a sense of spirituality in every note that she plays. Her story is truly a success story of how she has overcome and in many ways is still overcoming the inequities of being Black in America. She offers a breath of hope and in my opinion, she is the epitome of Black woman magic. I feel that her story is more than appropriate for such a time as this, as she offers a true definition of what it is to be Black in America and to soar beyond the negativities that we often face. Sit back and absorb this wonderful story. I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I uh, started playing the piano when I was four years old. I was raised by my grand, by two grandmothers and one grandfather and a bunch of aunts and smattering of, of uncles. Um, my mother's mother raised me. My mother died a year and a month after I was born. And she wanted to be a concert pianist. Um, but she didn't even graduate from high school. She, um, she took her SATs in the hospital, I understand. Um, but she, she died. Uh, I was born on March 3rd, and she died on Good Friday of 1962. I was born in 61. Mm-hmm. And um, that always is, is with me. Every time I have a birthday, yeah. you know, I really do. I think about her all the time. And I just realize, uh, well, a long time ago, that even though I have no memory of her, I know just about everything about her because we meet at the piano. Uh, yeah, I'll share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how long, so you said you've been playing since you were four. Did you start um, off at church or? I started off, well, I started off at home, actually. Just anything I, anything I heard, be it in church or on a, you know, a cartoon theme or a movie theme or some popular music that I heard. If I wanted to hear it again, you know, or some classical music, I could go and pick it out on the piano for myself. So I had big ears. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, so let's talk about your journey in the art world. Um, you said, you know, coming up in the church, did you feel well received in the church as a pianist? Did you feel like there were opportunities for you to excel? Um, what was your journey in the, in, in your art, uh, in terms of how it is that you were able to really be who you are? I've been, I've had to start, I've had to forge that for, for a long time part on my own. Um, what I, what did move me a little bit forward when I was much younger was that I'm such a, uh, I'm always trying to accommodate. Mm. And so once I realized, oh, they paid nicer attention to me if I hang out at the piano <laughs> and that's what I did you know, all the way through grade school, through high school, even into college. And I knew that I wanted to play the piano. I knew I wanted to be a working pianist mm-hmm. in the world. That's, that, that is my avocation. Um, but I was quite alone 
actually in, in figuring out how to make that work for me as a successful career. And of course, the older I get, the more the definitions of successful change. Right, right. So it, it really has nothing to do with money. It has to do, once you figure out what your, what your voice really is, mm-hmm. once you find your real voice and you meet your intention with that, you know, then, then you can start. I mean, success actually doesn't matter <laughs> at that right. point. Right. Uh, I I certainly can attest to um, the understanding that being an artist, uh, how you define success is truly your own definition in terms of uh, what success looks like to you and and how to achieve that. So I I receive that well. (laughs) (laughs) The other part is that, you know, it's still so very hetero male driven. Mm-hmm. the commercial industry and in fact not just the commercial industry how many times did I have to justify my presence in the classical music milieu and very male world young boys young white boys just on the fast track and it's not too different from today in jazz <laughs> actually it's almost <laughs> the same thing right uh, and even though they're pushing girls forward I look at I'm looking at the, the lack of diversity still and also how the girls are having to be dolled up in a way to, uh-huh. to seem more acceptable and less threatening, but I digress. So one time too many, I had to, you know, answer that question. It's like, the question is, how is it that you can play Mozart like that? <laughs> well, because <laughs> I learned how to play this music. You know, I've already been playing the piano. um, And I thought for, I used to think for a little while that that would take learning to read music would take away my ability to feel the music. But what it does is allow you to communicate with other people who don't have the facility of their ears the way I have. Mm -hmm. And it's a common ground for us because they're going to be all about taxonomy, terminology, (laughs) It's like, okay, yeah, I can learn all those words and I know what they mean. And this, if this is how we get to communicate, great. Right. And if I can bring something musical out of you, even better. Right. You know, so, but it's not, it's not the Bible. It's, you know, music comes through us. It's a, it's an internal experience. Art expression comes through us. It's already inside Mm-hmm. It's about how we allow it to come through and make its way out into the world. So if when, when you, because you talked about um, being challenged as uh, at, mm-hmm. then, at then a black girl playing piano, playing classical, mm-hmm. when did it really become apparent to you that you were a black girl in America? <laughs> Uh, well, that was pretty apparent in, you know, ninth, eighth grade, I'm sorry, 10th grade, because up until that, up until 10th grade, I had gone to black public school Mm. and I went to the, so my freshman year in high school, I attended the same school that my father mother and their brothers and sisters attended and my father's father taught math there lincoln high school 
go tiger. <laughs> um, but it was not the same school. And I, you know, endured a lot of violence there and, you know, my books getting thrown in the toilet, et cetera, because there's still this conflation. There's still this, this wrong equation of intelligence or the pursuit of literacy with whiteness. Now we didn't make that up. <laughs> we know where that came from, but we bought in some of us and, you know, it, it makes me cry in my heart about that. Um, cause I'm not going to claim victimhood, but it made it really difficult. Made mm -hmm. it, And then the sexism on top of that. So it's like, I want an award that boys are usually are used to winning in this school. And I got it. And I also got slapped in the face. Oh, wow. By one of my classmates, uh, who is a guy who was expecting to win. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to make it through three more years of this. Right. And so my English teacher recommended me to this exclusive all-girls school where I, I applied. I applied for a scholarship. I went and auditioned on the piano. I had a perfect GPA. I did not when I graduated from that school. <laughs> um, but, they, but they gave me a three-year scholarship. And I, I even lived there for a semester to catch up because right. what they were learning was not what we were being taught they were learning at the Hockaday school for girls was a union and school district was teaching in, in black neighborhoods it was mm. so different it was so not equal um but i graduated from Hockaday. i was one of two black girls in a class of 83 graduating seniors and you know i I'm still proud that I, that I made it through that school. Mm -hmm. It was there. It wasn't, it wasn't the school itself, but it was those recitals where my blackness was, you know, it's like, yes. And I knew I was black, right. but I didn't know I was black in that, in that way that I did not deserve to be somewhere or right. that I'm not supposed to have the capacity, you know, that's ridiculous. And it still is. <laughs> it is unfortunate. And it, it is, um, I can only imagine taxing on a young mind trying to learn and uh, develop and, and to grow mm -hmm. uh, when you have so many people looking at you as if you're incapable of doing so. Um, and so moving even into your adulthood and your career, mm -hmm. and we, you know, you mentioned sexism. How mm -hmm. much do you feel like that was a battle for you? How how much of that was a battle for you? Was it all in that in that vein, or it wasn't all in that vein? But I I know this for sure um, because I I came to California in '79 to attend Mills College, and I left after two years. Um, because I was not a given entry entree into the classes that I had been promised. And during my time there too, I was, uh, well, I was raped and I was raped by a relative and that just completely, that really made me disengage. I think I made an A in my music classes and I made an A in the Shakespeare, in the English lit literature class and the rest of it. I just was not, I was a zombie. Mm -hmm. um, and I left after two years. And I am sure 
that if I had been a young man, kind of wandering around and going to different jam sessions, and it, I know it would have been a different, it would have been a different life. Now, I'm not saying I wish that I had been. I'm, I love who I am, and I love the woman that I continue to become. But I know it's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't be frustrated anymore. It's just, it's just a sad, and even some young that I've mentored and, and coached and consulted and even taught in jazz camps, et cetera, you know, it, as, as soon as they can play, you know, a riff that everybody knows on the piano and they can play lightning fast, they get swooped, they get swept up and on the fast track and they have, they are given a recording contract. They're on their way. This does not happen to young women. Right. We got to work. They have to work harder and they have to look prettier. And that's just a hard fact. That's the fact. Now for younger, for younger, for younger girls coming up, I think that's changing. And I think in the culture that's changing, and I'm talking about the, the new graduates this year and forward mm-hmm. because, because among them, they've already seen the BS of that. Right. right. But there's that there's still a couple of generations, you know, where that's, it's still really prevalent. And until the old guard continues, either you got to change, <laughs> change your ways or die. Uh, and that's a hard fact too, you know, until they do one or one or the other, it's going to be a while before this attitude goes away because it keeps getting perpetuated, you know, by some of some people younger than me, and maybe a generation younger, still coming up with that idea, right. the idea that girls should only play certain instruments or none and only sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly not be threatening, right? Just because you got some power, <laughs> or they want to sexualize you—that's disgusting. <laughs> it <laughs> you is, know, and it's more disgusting. I'm sorry when when people when the instrumentalist buys into that too. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I understand you. You know, you want to make the money, you want that acclaim, but you know, think about it a little more. Think yeah. about it a little more, yeah. and what you're signing up for. And what you're what you're agreeing to, right? You know. So yeah. let's let's rewind back a little bit and talk about uh, when you first self discovered yourself as a queer person. Oh my gosh, that was before I went to. That's before I went to first grade. <laughs> <laughs> I was in kindergarten. <laughs> And I can't, I, I won't say her name because, um, because we have not spoken and, you know, I probably would have need her permission, but I had a crush on my, on my, my neighbor. And this is, I used to spend many summers with my father's parents. Mm -hmm. My father did not raise, his parents helped to raise me. Um, and she lived down the street and we get together every summer and ride our bikes and mm. be at each other's houses and play doctor and <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> uh, and I had the biggest crush on her and we did, we got in trouble a couple of times. <laughs> uh, well, we did. 
uh, and it's it's <laughs> just a couple of years ago we reconnected because I I was she was on my mind and I and I just wondered oh, I wonder if she's still around and where is she and sure enough she's still in Dallas um, but yeah that I knew that I preferred women. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hate men, even though many of the male figures around me were the object of my hate because they were such monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of them felt the wrath of my high top white leather boots <laughs> when I was a when I was a wee girl, kicking them in the shin. <laughs> Um, so I, I knew this uh, very early on. I knew this This is like at five years old. I knew two things at five. I was never going to get married, and I want to be a musician, a working musician. Mm. I knew that very strongly. Mm. I hated girls who wanted to watch movies with Elvis Presley because I just thought that was stupid. <laughs> I mean, that, and I just, I'm just remembering now, I'm laughing because I was really intense. I was probably a scary kid, Asati, because <laughs> I was I was a serious child. I was very serious. Yeah, and I loved my cartoons on Saturday. <laughs> you and me both. I still love my cartoons <laughs> on Saturday. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah. So, with your in terms of knowing who you were as a queer woman of color. Um, mm-hmm. And, and all of the many challenges that you face, do you feel like your music was your outlet to be authentically who you were? Or do you feel like you were stifled in any way because you couldn't really be who you were? Oh, it, it's definitely been the outlet and the piano has been my fortress. Mm-hmm. And of late, I have started to regard it not as my fortress because I don't need to hide behind it, mm-hmm. which is also why I'm singing more. Mm. As once you open your mouth, everything is bared, right. you know, and you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, like I've, I'm 59, and it took me, yeah, almost. It's taken me more than 40 years. I'd say 40, 45 years to get there. Mm. I used to sing when I was younger, and one day, one of my aunts walked into the living room. I was just playing and singing and I think she, she, something had happened to her and I don't know what it was, but she just (laughs) let loose on me and she's like, will you shut up? Will you shut up? And that was like, (laughs) and that, you know, until I was at school singing in the choir, I did not sing at home again, Mm. nor, you know, out only in a group, only in a choir situation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But now, now it's now it's it's there and also the also the the honor the honor to sing blues sometimes right <laughs> you know that's still something that's you know how diamonds are forged the blues is a diamond in in all of us i think in in all of us people of color in all of us african american people the blues is, is all ours. Mm-hmm. And some of us, some of us get that, that wonderful opportunity to impart 
the story. We get to be the griot. We get, you know, get to be the storyteller. We get to be the one who, when you sing the blues, just like Mom Rainey did and Bessie Smith did, that the people would come and hear you and they would come with their grievances because they knew that once you opened your mouth, you were taking their grievances on and then just throwing it right back, you know, throwing it out and, and obliterating it right. for a couple of hours. It's like so the blues singer and especially the female blues singer took care of the community that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get, I, I feel that pull. It's an honor to, to step into that, into that world. It's to discover that that's happening. I remember when I when I lived in Europe from 87 to 89 um, and I went there to, to work as a musician and the demand would be made that, you know, you're a black woman from the, from the States, <laughs> it's Texas, but that they would demand, it's like, you must sing the blues. And I, you know, I'm like, no, I'm too young to sing the blues. You know? <laughs> I'm not stupid. Not that you have to be, 80 years old to be singing right. the blues mind you but i didn't have that my life wasn't translating that way and it wasn't about oh woe is me and it also wasn't about i'm a fine mama you know right with the red lipstick big hips it's like no i'm not that person right and i don't look down on that person you're looking for caricature you're looking for a stereotype and no, I'm not buying into that. I'm not right. giving you that. Right. Nina didn't give it to you either. <laughs> By the way, uh, talking about Nina Simone. Yes, yes. She did that on her own terms. Yeah. Yeah. She is one of my favorite so, artists. Yes. Yes. She's my one of my patron saints. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you're... Were you were you able to be like because I know you played with numerous artists and bands and um, just mm-hmm. a, a multitude of musicians? Were you able to really be out uh, in in that capacity? Or I was in I was in Europe certainly. Um, my girlfriend at the time was already there, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we were clearly we were obviously together, and it was not an issue. Uh, was that was not an issue uh coming back to the states it wasn't now earlier uh you know actually in the bay area it was never really an issue unless i walked into a a jam session and i might be like the only woman there who was going to play an instrument and then you know there would be the question which never was asked to me directly, you know, it'd be some, some kind of innuendo rude statement. And I didn't even countenance it. Right. You know, I didn't come there to fight. <laughs> I came there to play. Music, <laughs> and I was not going to win the fight. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, to me, it, I, I, I mean, from my own experience as an artist, I know, you know, many of the experiences that you're speaking of in terms of walking into a room and oftentimes being the only woman. um, And there's already a Mm -hmm. list of expectations that come into place. Um, And then there's, I, I think even for myself, it's been 
you know, you automatically see that I'm a woman when I walk into the room, right? You automatically see that I'm a woman of color when I walk into the room. But then when it is revealed that I'm queer in any way, I mm -hmm. do notice a shift, especially with the, the black male musicians. And I, I hate to pinpoint them out, but I do no. notice a shift. Yeah. Is that something that you've experienced? Yep. It's like, you know, the temperature changes mm -hmm. in the room or what, what felt vibrant goes really flat really right. quickly. Right. And so it acts like this invisible wall goes up mm -hmm. and maybe it's my wall because I'm not a, because now I'm not going to play the game. Right. You know, either you're going to let me play or I can leave. And I would really, really rather not leave. It's like, I'm here for, I want the music, mm -hmm. you know, and yes, I have played many times by myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. but that, that still goes on. I can't tell you how many times uh, touring and playing at different festivals, like standing in the ladies room and I've got my suit on, which is, you know, it's a man suit because it fits better. Right. And it's and it, actually it's better made. Um, wearing a gown is not practical no. for me, and I'm not wearing <laughs> heels. Uh, and I I like to wear pants, and I always have. And invariably, somebody says to me, you know, a woman will say to me, "I told him you were a woman." <laughs> it's like, well, of course I'm a woman. Do I look like a man to you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> yep. Yep. How many more curves do I need? My God. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I know that. And so I just. Well. You know, and I'm like, and I have to be nice when I respond. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, and then the you know, then they always come up to me after the concert, and he shakes my hand like he wants to break it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's like, what is your problem? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even going to squeeze back. Yeah. You know? And I've said a couple of times, you know, you're hurting my hand. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this would not be the way to be proving manhood. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the context of your artistry can you tell what what inspires you what moves you to create gosh you one would think that this awful situation would and actually it it has but what's coming is not something out of anger it's something out it's something that wants to elicit hope Mm -hmm. And something that wants to encourage. I mean, the the anger is there, and it's like right at the tip of my tongue. But when it involves the music, the music, it's like it won't let me right. do that because there's already enough ugliness, and there's already enough anger and venom out there. I don't need to contribute right. to that part of it. So, and that's part of my, you know, part of the intention on Thursdays. You know, the little two-hour playing. Um, that that's a huge part of the intention just to, it's like, can we have some nice, warm, deep blue color 
to bathe ourselves in. And that's what I, that's the color. It's my favorite color. And -hmm. that's what I go for when I, when I sing or when a song is coming through me, if I'm saying blue, then I know I'm on the, I know it's right. I know it's true. It's, it is difficult to try to write anything that would be heavier. <laughs> yeah. And I know we can. I know I could. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but nothing, nothing right now is heavier than the, it, you know, it's beyond gross negligence. It's outright murder. In, mm-hmm. my, <laughs> in my humble opinion, this is, this is murder. This is genocide. And for the Senate to continue to allow this to happen, um, they're complicit in murder mm-hmm. and it's murder. Um, what inspires me are, are subtle things or subtle things and great beauty. It's like the, an expression that doesn't get noticed or a statement that gets half said but you can see, you can see the desire to finish, and it doesn't get finished. Mm-hmm. Those inspire me. Someone, some human walking by, or, or, I was tra- in an airport in Turkey, and this this man was in the line, and he was about six six, and just gorgeous. And I just had, I could not keep my eyes off of him because he was so beautiful. And I just, and eventually, I know they'll be looking at him. <laughs> and he finally acknowledged me and I said, I'm so sorry for staring, but you are so beautiful. And he just said, thank you so much. You are very beautiful. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then I was, see, see, see. I was with, traveling with, uh, with Kim Nally. Uh, my number one vocalist, you know, that I work with a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, oh, that just made the trip for me. Right. <laughs> Aside from performing with her, but because he just was, and he was so nice. It's like, yeah, you know, just appreciating. Mm-hmm. appreciating. And I love hearing beautiful music. It will always, that always inspires me. So when, when I hear Nina, Nina Simone play Good Bait, or I hear the Sacred Masses of Mary Lou Williams, you know, I hear Tanya Maria playing samba and scatting mm-hmm. to her playing. Um, when I hear the, the soundtrack to my favorite movie, Daughters of the Dust, oh, yeah. it, just, it just takes me away. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, you get transported and that's, that's what I want to do with, with the music, with my art, is to transport you not to any, I don't have the destination set for you, but it's got to be beautiful. It's got to be better than transport you to, to goodness right. and love. Right. Well, I'll say to that, in your, along your journey, um, I, you know, looking at how things have changed over the years, right? In terms of how things have changed in the black community, how things have changed in the queer community. Um, do you feel as though there really is hope in, in how we move forward and and um, the ways in which we could become better as a community? Um, 
I think there is. And the more things change, the more they remain the same. I mean, that's, that's also true. Uh, it, but it's not absolute because there is forward, there is forward motion. It just takes, it takes time to get the old stuff out mm. and it'll, and it will, it will, it will go away and, and not that it will be obliterated somehow out of our memory because it'll, it'll always be there, but we have to find the good stuff that was in it, mm. you know, so that we can, when we need, when we need something from, when we need something to help us through another situation, a present or a future situation. And actually we keep finding out that the present past and future don't really exist separately. They exist. I believe they exist simultaneously. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that time is not linear, mm. uh, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, that even from the nasty stuff, even from the really awful stuff that there's, there's still something, there might be a nugget of good in there that we can refer to, mm. but we don't need to bring all the baggage right. with us. And the older we get, the better we can discern what those things are. Nobody can tell you, you have to experience it for yourself. All we can do is try to support each other. Right. You know, that's, if we can do that and still have our, our varying voices, uh, even our disagreeing voices, but have an agreement, a foundational mm. agreement as about who we are as a people, then, you know, we're, we own the world. We are the world. Right. <laughs> we're right. the majority. The world began with us. Right. It didn't start with the Greeks and they did not invent philosophy, etc. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> and right. we the rest of us would, you know, wake up now, <laughs> come on, <laughs> and own your own your good stuff. The blues is good. The blues is not devil's music. Mm -hmm. And stop buying it in the repackaged form. Don't let it get sold back to us right. in, the, in the embodiments of those people. <laughs> Don't do it that like that. Stop it. Right. Well, we we started it, and we have to own. All of us, mm -hmm. you know. So with your, the, the amount of trauma that you dealt with and uh, just really the adversity in terms of being a black queer woman um, artist, how are you able to move past a lot of that to be, you know, who you are? To, I mean, when I, when I, what I know of you and when I even speak to you now, what I, what I hear is love and I, and the intentionality of love and peace. And so how are you able to get to where you are and work past a lot of those things? Um, you know, there's a reason that I'm 59 and, and there's a reason outside of leukemia that my mother died when, before she turned 19, mm. 18. And I can't say I know what that is, but I, I feel if I'm not responsible to and for me, I really can't expect anyone else to be responsible for me, especially when <laughs> coming into this world, um, 
and growing up, so many people didn't want to be responsible for me at, mm-hmm. um, phys- through physical and sexual abuse. And it, it's not, well, I don't, every, any, um, any incident of, any incidents of abuse is a horror story. Mm. So I cannot diminish it. Um, yeah, there are many times I just got slapped across the room for drill. Um, there were times that I was passed around in a sexual situation, like somebody would be passing a cigarette or a joint. Mm. And a lot of those memories had been re- repressed. And when I stopped drinking uh, for a period of about three years, those memories started coming to the surface. Mm. And um, I'm still dealing with that. And I just have to deal with it as it, as it comes. And sometimes it's so heavy and it's so, it feels so awful. And I want to just ask, how could you do that to a child? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because children, we come here perfect. We come here wrapped in unconditional love. We come here with full ability to fly. Most of us get growing up is that. And so I just have to remember that there were some people in my life who reminded me that I could do things Mm -hmm. and that I could have wings again. And so I'm all, so I'm going for that. And I want to, I want to try to be that person for as many other people as I can. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the age is. Um, We all have the child in us. Right. And that's the, it's the child that saves us because it's the child that knows unconditional love because the child gives unconditional love. You know, that's, that's a greater intelligence than any adulthood we could ever achieve. <laughs> right. So I just have a few more questions here for you and then we'll wrap up. Um, but the first question is, what does love look like to you? Oh my gosh. Love looks like an ocean an ocean of, of all the people I know and love surrounding me. Mm. That's what love looks like to me. And it, it looks like all the people that I've met just for like five minutes (laughs) touring, um, you know, giving, you know, playing in the world and them meeting those, that group of people that really knows me, (laughs) you know, and coming together and giving each, and just meeting each other on each other's, meeting us as we are. Right. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like to me. And being How, well. What is your, what is your mode of self-love? Uh, good dessert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good food. And sometimes it's not the healthiest food, but it's, it is well-made. Yes. Um, spending, t- spending more time at the piano. Uh, making sure I give myself quiet time because mm. it's, it's essential. It really is essential. Um, and then trying to find the capacity to have, to have more compassion for, for the people or for the, for the situations that would bring out my worst side. Mm. Mm. And so I'm, I am really trying to work through that. Right. Yeah. 
And so my last question is really centered around um, a lot of the queer women of color who are out there, young and old, who don't necessarily have the freedom to be who they are as of yet. Mm -hmm. they, they perhaps live in an environment or, you know, are growing up in an environment where it's not safe for them to yeah. be who they are. Um, what advice mm -hmm. would you offer to a queer woman of color as an artist trying to find themselves and to connect? You already have a sense of yourself in your mind and in your spirit. And those are the places where no one or no thing can touch you. Mm. You know, you, you hear of, of people in, incarcerated and they say, my, maybe my body was in prison, but my mind was not imprisoned. And that's a real, that's a real thing. Mm. So no one can take your creativity away. No one can, can take away or change who you are. And you have to, you know, Muhammad Ali every morning did say to himself in the mirror, I am the greatest. Now, I don't know if anyone heard him or not, but he heard him. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's, that's fact and that's, that's truth. That's truth. And so if you can remain true to yourself and if you can find ways to be encouraging to yourself, no matter what this hardship is, and then it's not easy. I know it isn't. When you believe in you, then everything else can happen. Mm. So keep, keep faith, keep courage, keep love, and love you. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that really is all that I, all of the questions that I had. And um, I, I, again, I'm just so thankful that um, you have taken the time out to meet with me and to share a little bit about yourself and your story. And, um, you know, it really is, I think, important for us to share our stories and for these stories yeah. to be out there and for people to know that we're actually here and that we've been doing it and for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Dealing with all of the nonsense in trying to do it and in trying to stay with it. Um, I, I certainly know that it is... Uh, just such a privilege to look over even, you know, your career. And I look at, you know, Linda Tillery and just um, mm -hmm. so many different people and how you've, it inspires me and in how you've been able to do it even when it wasn't cool. Right. When it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't. Yeah. And Linda was my inspiration, a great inspiration to me here, you know, after I got here, because there was so much, there was so much music I didn't know. And even into, you know, when I got to Mills, and I'm hearing women's music. It's like, well, what the hell is women's music? <laughs> and then where are the black women? Right. So, and then, then there was Linda Tillery. There's Vicki Randall. It's like, yeah. oh, wow. Right. There's Castleberry and Bray. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to listen to the other stuff all the time. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Indeed. And Watkins, come yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, I'm, it is my hope that, you know, uh, once these interviews get out into the world, that uh, there will be some folks out there that will hear it and feel inspired and feel uh, that they actually have support and um, that they can really do it, you know, and that it's going to be yeah. 
but you know, it, you can definitely do it. And you all are certainly a testament to that. So thank you for all your work and thank you for sticking with it, even though it was not always easy. <laughs> well, what do they say? If it's coming too easy, it's probably not, it's not so great. You right. know, <laughs> so, exactly. I, I, I really don't believe in no gain, no gain. I'm not about, I don't, I don't believe in that, that, that kind of ethic about, you know, if you, if you haven't sweated hard for it, mm. like, no, you don't have to come up through the ranks all the time. I want to be one of those people who tells you, um, you don't have to start at the bottom. Right. If you think, if you think this is where you belong, then be there. Don't even prove it. Just be, be that mm-hmm. because we'll get told <laughs> one way or the other, you right. know, you better know it. And that's all, that's all that's required. You have to know. Right. You don't have to ask. Yeah. Ashe. I do hope that you enjoyed this episode with Tammy Hall. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to stay connected with her. And be sure to follow her on Facebook where you will find some of her live virtual concerts. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed. One love.